So there have been so many rally cries over the years, team songs and team slogans. I remember the 2007 Boston Celtics. Uh, they had a superstar in Paul Pierce and a bunch of young guys on the team. And then as the season was coming toward uh, its team building section, the general manager, Danny Ainge, made a couple of trades, first for Ray Allen and then for Kevin Garnett. And so this, now this group of young players with these three stars needed to find a way to have that rally cry, have that team chemistry that's necessary to be successful. And so one of the things that they did to try to accomplish getting on the same page is they took a, uh, an overseas trip and they came up with a slogan. I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of the slogan, but it's Ubuntu, which means I am because we are. That was their rally cry all year long. I am because we are. It was a way in which they found their identity, not individually, but in a collection, in a group. So it wasn't about one individual superstar or three superstars joining forces. It was about one team. In the military, a lot of times you'll hear the proclamation, one team, one fight. That basketball team was a special team. They ended up winning the NBA championship. And part of the reason that they were so successful was because each of these superstars was willing to take a lesser spotlight in order for the team to succeed. They had connected themselves to something larger than their own ego. And so it is in the church of Jesus Christ. God has opened our eyes to see the magnitude of His amazing grace and His unfathomable love. He has helped us to see what life and eternity would be without Him. And then He has helped us to taste by contrast what it is like to have the life of God and the life of Christ within us. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is gracious. He has helped us to realize that there is one superstar and it's not us. We rally week in and week out Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, various meetings, and the rally is always about one Savior. The rally is always about one redeeming, life-giving, life-transforming God. We've been connected with something so much greater than ourselves individually, and even ourselves collectively. We've been connected to the life that God has ordained and orchestrated and overseen from eternity past. What a joy it is to know that our God superintends sovereignly over the affairs of our lives from beginning to end. God has connected us to this journey. 
Philippians chapter 1 is our text this morning, verses 3 through 8, where God writes through Paul, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This morning, as we think for a few minutes about this text, we want to think about the, the title on the boards here. Rallying around God's work. God's work. There's only one that accomplishes that work. We rally around the God who has done it all, who has accomplished it in Jesus Christ, and we see in time and in space God applying the work of Jesus Christ to one person after the next and giving them life where there was death and giving them freedom where there was bondage and giving them joy where there was deep, deep distress. God giving fullness where there is emptiness. This is God's work. He has been doing it for years and years and years since He spoke the world into existence. He's been redeeming people like me, and people like you, because this is the kind of God He is. He's a redeeming, saving God, and we rally around this God. We rally around this cry that He is accomplishing His work here and there, wherever we are. And we proclaim the message of salvation day in and day out. And that salvation is based upon a work already done in Jesus Christ, and it keeps getting applied from person to person. And, and you know, as believers, those that have been redeemed, we've received this life, we have this applied day in and day out, and it refreshes us, and it gives us rest. It gives us peace. Confident assurance. We sang about it all morning already. Come to Jesus. Rest. O oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, solid foundation upon which we stand. As we rally around the work of God, there are numerous results that this passage points out. Those that have been connected to this journey, this salvation of God, remember one another. There's remembrance. Look at verses 3 and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. 
Now, I think you can identify with this. When people see themselves in the same light as being those who have received forgiveness of sin, when others see themselves in this light where they've, they've received from God this life, this treasure that we hold in earthen vessels, when you see people tasting and seeing that God is gracious and receiving from Him this joy of, of the life of God entrusted, when that happens, you can feel yourself tied to them. He connects us. Because we're not looking at our story. We're looking at His story. And we're connected to His story through the redemption that we've been given. So we rally around this joy of being connected to God's plan. And it marks us. There's an indelible mark that's made on us when we come to taste the forgiveness and grace of God. Can you feel that connection with others when they give thanks? When you see someone rejoicing in the, the grace of Jesus Christ, can you feel the connection with them? It's like you can feel your, your lives tied together. There's a remembrance. There's this enthusiasm. When someone testifies of God's love, it's like your heart cries out with them. Yes, I've tasted that. I've experienced, I've received that love. God has shed His love abroad in my heart through the Spirit that has been given to me. So there's this uniting. So we give thanks. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Our most impactful friends cause us to give thanks to our God who has given them. He is the giver of all good things. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. And when we look at one another, and when we experience life together this way, it's hard to forget one another we see how God has joined us together. There's this remembrance. That's the first idea. In addition to a thankful remembrance of one another because we're rallying around God's work, we have our hearts knit together in common affections. So we'll talk about affections for a couple of moments. This passage brings it up on, in numerous ways. First of all, at the end of verse 4, he makes his prayer with joy. The word there is kara in the Greek. It's used five times, this word kara. It's used five times in the book of Philippians. And all five times it is used in connection with discussions on relationships between believers. But it's not just so simply relationships with believers. It's relationships with believers in relationship to God. It's not just this horizontal relationship. It's a horizontal relationship with a vertical dimension. 
And so the joy that comes five times in the book of Philippians is emphasizing this this interconnection that God gives to His people because they've been interconnected with Him. So there's this affection of joy. It's the Spirit produces joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and many others. But joy is a gift that we receive. It's not something we knuckle down and figure out. Oh, just be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Great song. Very happy and bubbly. But singing that song won't bring joy. It might make you laugh. But God's Spirit brings joy. True. Abiding. Stabilizing. Grounding joy. Joy that we taste. A joy that one day we will experience forever. Without interruption. Because God, one of His traits is joy. And that day is coming when we'll be all together. Those that have trusted Christ will be together with God and that joy will be ours. Our joy will be full and unending. Joy. We all appreciate the fruit of joy. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful affection that God gives to us. It's best experienced in relationship to others. When you have joy and you're all by yourself, that's a wonderful thing. And yet there's a reason why on special days we gather around with the people that are most precious to us because joy is best shared. And Paul in his prayer for the Philippian church says, my affections have been tied together with you. When I, when I think of, of you, God brings joy to my heart because I think of all the experiences of joy that God has allowed us to share. Love is another affection that God has given His people who rally around Him. Look at verse 7, please. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my heart. This is a good word picture. Think about holding a baby in your arms, right? And, and you look into their eyes and they've got this, their eyes are bright and, and sparkling and their face is, is not stressed. Like they, they, they haven't been weathered or worn. Their skin is smooth. You look at that baby, you hold that baby in your arms and you, and you, you ensure that you don't drop that baby, right, because they're, they're precious to you. I'll never forget when uh, we had Asa, just a little baby, teeny thing, fragile, heart problems from the start, fragile, and, you know, we would let people hold him, including, you know, our, our children. I remember one time my son Andrew was holding Asa in the, the front of the other building, and Andrew fell. And the only one that felt any pain was Andrew, because he braced Asa on the way down and hit his head on the, the, the wall, but he took care of that, that baby, because he cared about him. The word picture here, I hold you in my heart, has that 
but not on the physical side, on the, the emotional side. There's such a uniting of those that have received the love of God, have experienced His goodness, have tasted the forgiveness of God, have been connected together. God connects their hearts. He, he knits our hearts together in love. I hold you in my heart, he says. This is why when our friends that we love, when they weep, we don't say, suck it up. We weep with those who weep. When our friends succeed, something good happens and they're rejoicing, what do we do? We rejoice with those who rejoice because our affections have been tied together. We've we've been connected to this far greater experience in life than our own individual challenges and joys because God has knit us together. Verse 8 now, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. These are emotionally packed words. And I'm having a hard time choking them out. The word yearn in verse 8 comes from the Greek word epipotheo. It's an intense longing. It's like you get path. You can hear that emotion. Pathos is a word that's used to describe someone who leads with passion. And then you've got epi, like on top of. It's an intense passion. This is what he's conveying. I yearn for you all. I have this burning, intense desire for God's goodness to be experienced, for God's uh, gospel to be impactful, for God to do His work. I have this yearning desire, this intense longing And then he he says, he uses one of these great Greek words. He says, with the affections, the word is splagnon. It's a disgusting sounding word. Splagnon. Well, there's a reason why it's disgusting sounding, because it's representative of your guts. I love you with my guts. (laughs) You know, you've had... You know, superficial, loving, you know, oh, this is so happy, very nice. And then you felt it down in your gut. It's a way of expressing something. That, like, it's, it's beyond, I've decided to love you today. There is something inside of us, and you can actually feel it. Because I yearn for you with the the inner core, I love you to the core with the affections of Christ. That takes it to other worlds. You and I, our love is flawed immensely. There's always a way that you can find the end of our love. It just takes the right sequence of events to cause our love to come to a screeching halt. That's why people fall in love. 
and they fall out of love. I thought I loved him. I thought I loved her. I guess I didn't. Our love is flawed. It is not otherworldly. We can try to learn about it. We can try to read about it. We can try to convince ourselves about the five love languages and I'm going to really work on my love. I'm going to fill her love tank with, my, you know, with gifts and acts of service and words of affirmation. I'm going to make sure that, you know, that, that, that she feels love by me touching. You know, and there's one other one I can't, it's not coming to my mind. Five love languages. I'm going to, I'm going to love and, and there'll be no stopping it. Mom. Not telling you not to try. Not saying that there's nothing valuable in any of that information. But that love is earth love. And it will come to an end under the right circumstances or perhaps the wrong circumstances. Now, we're not so tied here. Our resources are not quite so limited in this statement when he says the affections of Christ Jesus, you think about the love of Christ Jesus. And you think about the impactful way in which he loves. And, and he loves those who hate him. And he loves those who rebel against him. And he doesn't say, well, under the right circumstances or just the wrong ones, my love will come to an end and you'll be on your own, buddy. The love that Jesus Christ has, does, and will demonstrate has a sequence of eternity. He loved me before I was. He loves me as I am. And He loves me the way I will be. From eternity past to eternity future, His love unendingly is displayed. He is love personified. He lived for us, knowing He was providing our salvation, our forgiveness, our life, our our eternity, He lived and died for us. This love we have received and experienced and share. This is the love that was shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Given to us. This love that we've tasted and experience and share is a gift of God. We are faulty in trying to create some facsimile of this love. The real thing is available. It is a fruit of God's Spirit's working in us. God produces this love within us for one another. And I think that we say, Lord, help us to lean into this love. Help me to lean into this love with my relationships in my home, my relationships among the, the body of believers, my relationships at work, my relationships wherever I am. Lord, help me to lean into this love that I've received, that it might be on display. So we, we have remembrance 
of one another as we rally around God's work. We have affections that are bound together as we rally around God's work. And thirdly, we have a partnership, a partnership that we experience together because of God's work. Look at verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership. So there's this concept of fellowship. Uh, The the word is koinonia in the Greek. It's the idea of fellowshipping, sharing life together. Paul was praying for this church, Philippi, because their fellowship was based upon the gospel. A fellowship based upon the gospel is... Is, is kind of, there's a lot of tears and angles to it. It's constantly being reminded of the gospel. That's why, you know, from week to week, the, the, the themes of the messages, while they have different um, angles, there are different angles leading us to be reminded of the work of God through Jesus Christ. Different ways of understanding the gospel's implications in life. Because our fellowship is based upon that remembrance. Fellowship in the gospel is constantly being reminded of God's care for us. Provision for us. But it's also about a pathway that's laid out before us. Because every day we encounter people just like ourselves that are in need of that gospel. That gospel reminder. We come and we're refreshed together. And then we leave, and there are going to be a lot of people that we're going to need to either refresh or expose to the gospel. Gospel fellowship has that reminder as well as that mission. We remind ourselves and one another day in and day out of the good news of the life and peace and rest that come from Christ. We remind one another of the finished, accomplished, complete work of Jesus Christ. That what He has done is enough. Nothing to be added to it. And nothing can be taken away from it. His work is everything. It's been provided to us. This serves as the foundation of our confidence and a reminder of the task that's still laid out for us. That task takes on numerous fronts, right? In the church, we're reminding one another. In our homes, we're reminding one another. In our workplaces, we're reminding one another. Whatever environment you're in, Reminded of that same task, that we stand on the gospel and we proclaim the gospel for the good of our friends, for the good of our neighbor, and for the glory of God. Look down, please, at verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. He uses that word, Koinonia, again, except now he adds a little prefix to it. Soon, koinonia. Fellowship with me. Partnership with me. Experiencing with me. What is he saying in the middle of verse 7 that they are sharers in? Sharers together in what? It says grace. 
You are sharers together with me of grace. In other words, you have experienced the grace that God has been proclaiming from the very beginning. Now it reminds me of our study of the Gospel of John. And one of my favorite verses is in chapter 1 and verse 16. Listen to these words from John 1.16. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Perhaps you'll remember that the word there is charis, grace. Anti, instead of, charis, grace. Grace instead of grace. It's kind of a strange thing to say. From Jesus' fullness, from God's fullness in Christ, God causes us to experience one wave of grace in place of another wave of grace, in place of another wave of grace, in place of another wave of... Yeah, I was wondering if you were listening. Grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. This is why they were so bound together. Because they had experienced this. Take a look please at Ephesians 1 just for a moment. I'm going to read verses 3-10 through 10 of this passage and we're going to head back to Philippians. But this passage that we're going to read here from verse 3-10 to 10 spans from eternity past to the consummation of all things. Take a look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In this passage, he's talking about the abundance of blessing, all of the blessing that comes from God in the heavenly places, tapped into through Christ. He calls this glorious grace in verse 6. He calls it the riches of His grace in verse 7. He uses this term lavished. Lavished in verse 8. This to exceed a fixed number or measure. He, he poured it out on us in full abundance in verse 8. From before we were around until it's completed when He unites all things together in one. In Christ. Things in heaven. Things on earth. All coming to this full conclusion. And it's all because of this abundance, riches of grace. This is why in Philippians chapter 1 when he says, I, I hold you in my heart. 
I have these deep yearnings, this, these affections for you. I have this joy in you. You've partaken with me in the gospel ministry, and you have partaken with me of this abundant grace. How can I not feel this way about you? Uh, it's right for me to feel this way about you because you have tasted the same grace that I've tasted. None of us deserved it. None of us earned it. None of us are worthy of it. We just simply receive it. God is so abundant and our hearts and our minds nearly explode at the thought of this kind of forgiveness. At this kind of kindness. Of this kind of love. You won't find it anywhere else. I'll, I try to love my wife. I try to love my kids. My love is flawed. When God's Spirit is producing love in me, then they have a taste in, in my relationship of God's love for them. I, I hate to inform you, I don't always demonstrate that. I'm sure that's a shocker to you. God's love doesn't change. His grace is unendingly experienced day in and day out. And so, because of that, we sense this partnership. We've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And as a result, we've been partnered in this larger mission that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ to which we continue to see His fruitful application of it. So, back to Philippians chapter 1 finish this up in the next couple of minutes, leads us to the last piece of our discussion. God continues to apply the implications of the work that Jesus has already accomplished. And this gives us the greatest confidence. Verse 6, Paul writes, I am sure of this. He says, I am persuaded. That's the word. I am persuaded. I've been absolutely convinced. I have the deepest assurance of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He gives us this panoramic sweep God began the work and He will bring it to completion. Friends, who's the superstar? God is. If you want to say Jesus, that's fine, but it's Father, Son, Spirit. Three in one. Our triune God is the superstar. Who's the actor? He who began a good work in you. I'm confident that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What God begins, He completes. What God has begun in us, what is that? What has He begun? Before I could conceive that I needed salvation, before I had any inkling that I needed to be saved. God had already determined to save. 
He preserved His promise against every demonic plot. Against every human opposition. Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And though the foremost of sinners, God has accepted me in the Beloved. And not just narrowly, but triumphantly. He has united me forever with the sinless Son of God. I have been declared righteous. This spotless record is mine for eternity. What did I do? What God has begun, God will complete. So who is this true about? Everyone who knows Jesus as life, Savior, and Lord. This is why it's right for me to declare there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There are no doubts. Who has done this work? If I did the work, it would be littered with error and sin and selfishness. But it's been accomplished by our perfect, holy, righteous God. And He never errs or sins. His work is always done to perfection. This is why we rejoice. Because we have seen God's perfect working as we journey through life, though we might not like or enjoy every twist and turn that comes our way, we rest in His good hand. What God has begun, He will bring to completion. The pathway may seem crooked to us, but it's a pathway blazoned by God for our good. Our God is worthy of trust. Every day, every hour. Have you tasted His grace? Have you experienced His love? Do you have confidence that your sins are forever removed? Have you received confidence that God has made you His own child forever? Those who believe have been called His children. God has given us a record of perfect righteousness that can never be taken from us. I invite you today to experience His grace. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible also says, Whoever believes in Him will never be put to shame. These are these are promises of God. The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who lived for us, died for us, and was raised for our justification. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we thank
about this passage and the, the wonderful work of Jesus Christ that you have applied to us. Father, I pray for anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, but I have great confidence that the work that you've begun, you will bring to completion individually in individuals' lives and corporately in, in our church life. I have confidence in you. We have confidence in you. And we look forward to your continued demonstration of your salvation and your continued demonstration of your grace and mercy in our lives. Father, whoever among us might be struggling with a myriad of potential matters, you know each one. We ask for your mercy, your comfort, and your grace upon each one where they are, whatever they're experiencing. And we pray, Father, you might show to them your trustworthy nature. They would look to you and know and experience both your peace, your love, and your salvation. We commit this to you with the greatest confidence because we've, we've seen your faithful record both in Scripture and in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.